0: Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Reiter today. I'm joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? Plugging along, Ethan. How are you? I am doing pretty good myself. Today on this podcast, we're going to talk a lot about the NCAA investigation on ASU into their recruiting on Friday. There was big news, Chris. Adam Brenneman and Zach Hill resigned Prentice Gill and Chris Hawkins were both fired as well in terms of their parts in this NCAA investigation? What do you really know surrounding all of that information?
1: Right. So even though that news all was reported publicly on Friday, um, I had known for several days at that point in time that the, the three coaches who had been suspended in August, Brenneman, Gill and Hawkins um, were no longer part of the program. What uh, happened was a couple, maybe a week and a half or so, two weeks prior uh, to to, um, Friday, the the coaches, those three coaches had been um, asked to resign or told that they would be fired. And uh, Gill and Hawkins decided that they were not going to resign, which preserves their ability to pursue wrongful termination. Uh, Gill has taken the first steps toward a potential wrongful termination claim by appealing his firing, which is a, the, the mandated process. Hawkins, I don't believe, has done so. Uh, Brennan decided that he was going to resign and 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 uh, give up any sort of a, such a claim or ability to pursue such a claim. And then uh, that was on Monday of last week, and then. Zach Hill, um, resigned on Thursday afternoon after meeting with ASU with his lawyer, that was also directly connected to the NCAA case. Um, a lot of people have asked why, why these coaches were, um, the first ones to take the hit the, the dossier quote unquote, that was provided to ASU and the NCAA in, um, June of last year, or the very sort of beginning of June, I think is when it was, um, that had uh, evidence that implicated directly those three coaches, which was viewed by ASU as a high enough threshold to lead to their suspension, ultimately, after uh, an internal process that was not particularly lengthy. Um, And then... Through the NCAA's investigation that's been unfolding in um, the last six months or or longer, um, that has led to additional information being provided to the NCAA by people they've interviewed. And they are working their way now to a process of uh, reaching out to and setting up interviews with additional ASU coaches and take those are starting to also take place from what I've been told and Zach Hill um, through this process came to a conclusion that uh, from what I've been told by people familiar with his thinking um, that he was going to have to acknowledge his role in, in what took place uh, which was ultimately going to lead to him uh, losing his job at ASU. Um, The situation these coaches really are in, Ethan, is either they have to admit wrongdoing that the NCAA has already been told happened and and, in some cases already has substantial amount of evidence that took place from what I've been told from people um, who are familiar with those um, conversations and what the NCAA has been told. Or they can uh, elect to not be forthright, in which case they run the risk of uh, being hit with the penalty by the NCAA. And so, uh, I just think that there's going to be additional. One of the things I've said to our audience in Double Sanctuary on our message board is really uh, like most of the staff. Um, who were part of the team in the 2020 and 2020 and into 2021 in the spring, um, during the, the, the COVID dead period, that 14 month period from sort of the last part of March of 2020 in through, um, May of 2021, they, uh, met most of the coaches, um, have exposure to this NCAA case. So uh, I don't expect that we're anywhere near the end of this thing.
0: Yeah. And you spoke a little bit about these coaches being the first to take the hit, looking at it kind of as a full pictures, you just kind of talked about a little bit. If you are a subscriber source, you looked at the reports. We also reported that the NCAA investigators have been told in these interviews that Antonio Pierce and Herm Edwards were involved in these meetings, so the question that gets kind of confusing is why haven't they resigned or been fired? What really is happening with them? Two.
1: Correct. So yes, we reported on Friday, last week that um, NCAA investigators have been told that Antonio Pearson Herm Edwards participated in the meetings, uh, both on and off campus, um, that with recruits when it was not allowed, and, and that's that was a significant advance, I think, on the story. Um, because it it really shows that, uh, people who have direct information are saying that those two coaches are culpable in what, what, what took place here. Now, the, just like you would with like maybe an FBI investigation or something that's very involved and has a lot of moving parts, you're kind of working your way toward the people who are the more senior, the more kind of targets of the investigation, and Antonio Pierce being the, the recruiting coordinator and associate head coach and defensive coordinator and Herm Edwards being the head coach. They're, they're the, probably the two most senior people in ASU football. And so I think the investigators, from what I understand, they, they wanted to have as much information collected from other people, recruits and their families and people who used to work for ASU football and maybe people who still work for ASU football, they want those people on the record so that they have all that stockpiled before they go and uh, and request interviews with Pierce and Edwards. And so uh, as I see it, the exposure that they have is still quite significant. And I, I think that there's a, a pretty good chance that they will ultimately um, be put in the same type of conundrum that the other coaches were put in.
0: So to, to put it a, a little more bluntly, do you think Edwards and Pierce will be coaching for ASU this season?
1: I think Antonio Pierce probably will not be. Um, it, you know that 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 is analysis. It is not reporting. Um, I have nothing that indicates at this time that um, he for sure will lose his job. But I I, I from everything that we have heard, um, it's kind of hard to imagine that uh, he, he isn't in the same sort of category ultimately as a Zach Hill, for example, um, especially as ASU's recruiting coordinator who oversaw all of their recruiting efforts and um, the hiring of the, the other coaches along along with Herm Edwards. So, um, And then as it relates to Herm Edwards, I think that's a little bit tougher to say because then you get into some uh administrative politics politics right you have ray anderson hired him um i'm not there's a difficult situation as it relates to what asu would do um this year if if edwards were to be fired and um some of these other factors i i think that there's no doubt that he's very much at risk of losing his job ultimately As a result of that, whether that's directly as a result or whether they just aren't able to um, get back on a successful, seemingly successful trajectory after everything that has kind of taken place and the challenges that they now have put upon themselves as a result, as a byproduct of this. So um, I would say the odds are not good that Edwards is coaching for ASU by let's say December of this year, but I, it, it's very difficult still for me to sort of say whether um, he could be dismissed or asked to resign at some point earlier, like in, in, the, in the spring, if he talks to the NCAA, or after the notice of allegations, which my understanding is will probably, ASU will probably receive notice of allegations uh, in um, sometime in late spring, early summer, maybe midsummer at the latest, and the notice of allegations are expected to include level one infractions claims, which are the most serious. So uh, uh, something that really could uh, cause a lot of uh, um, punishment, self-imposed or otherwise, including by the NCAA. But um, I, I I think that the writing is kind of on the wall at this point. It it seems pretty unlikely with not ruling it out, but it seems pretty unlikely that Edwards will still be the coach by next year.
0: Yeah. and, And when you get out of what's actually happened and the investigation that's happened right now, you get to kind of the other part of the story where the aftermath and already in the aftermath ASU we've reported have already started self sanctioning. So what do you know about those self sanctions? What are they? And, Kind Of what are the reasons that they've already been doing that?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't really call it the sort of an aftermath. I, I get why you did, but it, it's, it's, if anything, it's ASU's trying to get ahead of what it knows the NCAA's ultimate findings will be and punish itself to such a degree that the NCAA feels that additional penalties are not warranted. Okay. And when you get into the, the matrix, they call it a matrix, which look at sort of the the, the, the punishments and what, what schools and, and individuals can face as a result of these types of infractions. Um, when you have a level one case, there's there's three types. There's an aggravated level one, there's a regular level one, and the mitigated level one. The mitigated case that ASU is gonna to try to make, I'm sure, when it gets to the uh, Committee on Infractions phase, which probably won't happen even until next year. But they'll probably try to make the case that, look, they suspended the three coaches who are the most exposed to this very quickly. They, um, they also took Antonio Pierce off the road, so he was not recruiting for ASU last year, um, which had a material impact on the program. And then in the first, in January, they had two weeks when they were allowed to go on the road recruiting and they didn't uh, take one of those weeks. They didn't recruit. They are going to, from my understanding, take additional significant self-imposed penalties this year, which will include uh, a scholarship reduction. So they'll, they'll, they'll be way under, or at least somewhat under the 85 cap. They will, um, not have as many official visitors on their campus this year as are allowed. They will not have as many days spent on the road recruiting. And um, I'm not ruling out the possibility that they may even self-impose a bull ban at some point in time. Um, level one infractions cases very frequently, according to um, the sort of uh, penalties that are laid out, uh, result in a postseason ban sometimes multi-year. So by self-imposing, ASU is clearly going to, tr- understands that there's a lot of risk and will try to contain that, uh, those, that punishment as much as possible to this year for this particular staff. And the reason that's really important is because any, this staff's going to have a really hard time recruiting anyways when it's under the scrutiny and the ability to negative recruit. I mean, the staff might not be here another year, so these coaches might not, might not be around for any recruits that they add. Um, the recruits are gonna be told by everybody that the program's gonna struggle for some time to come due to this, due to this, this scandal, that there may be bowl uh, uh, implications for them or they don't get to play in the postseason if they end up signing with ASU and uh, among other factors. And so a new head coach, he's... I I don't really see how someone will be excited about trying to take on this ASU opportunity in the near next several months, even if ASU did move on from Herm Edwards because that coach would be facing all of these sorts of challenges. So uh, I think ultimately... um, their they're, they're, ASU is going to try to jam as much as they can of the punishments into this year, and then hope that the NCAA views that as enough, or maybe take some additional penalties next year, but not nearly as many, um, to give a potential replacement coaching staff uh, um, a better sort of outlook as they as they take the job, you know, and to make it more enticing
0: four candidates
1: who would be pursued uh, in that endeavor.
0: Yeah. And you just talked at least a little bit about just the impact this could have on recruiting. We're recording this the day before signing day. How much would you say this has actually hurt ASU's recruiting already? And how much will it hurt them in the years ahead?
1: Monumentally. um, And I don't say that lightly. If you look at where ASU was positioned last June um, when the, the NCAA and ASU received this dossier quote unquote uh, of the uh, evidence of, of recruiting infractions. Uh, ASU had three, I believe, four-star recruits, maybe four. It was the earliest they'd ever had that many four-star recruits. They were a top 20 uh, team in the country in the 24 seven recruiting rankings. Chris Hawkins, I think was number two in the pac 12 at the time he was in the top 10 or 15 nationally uh overall their secondary recruiting in particular was was very strong on the strength of what hawkins had done with um the two four-star recruits from florida that asu had added and larry turner gooden the the top 100 recruit out of southern california as well as a safety and so um what ended up happening is from then. Until now, uh, ASU only ended up signing one total four-star recruit in the early signing period in December and subsequently added no more four-star recruits in this class um, and is not anticipated to sign any four-star recruits uh, additionally in this class out of the high school or junior college ranks. Um, ASU is ranked outside of the top 90 nationally which is the worst in the history of internet sites like 24-7 sports. Never never happened before. ASU is 11th in the Pac-12, which is tied for the worst ever with 2011, which was the last um, sort of transitional period that was really rough for ASU as the, the Dennis er- Erickson era sort of uh, wound down and came to a a bad conclusion over the last couple of years before Todd Graham was hired. So, um, it's, it's, it's a very dire situation. The, the way I look at it from a, from a every staff should be building better talent through its sort of years, three, four, five of the program. And then that's sort of a critical phase at which either they're going to continue to improve until like a year six, seven, or they're going to fall off because their initial uh, push is not sustained. They, you know, what happens usually is some of their better recruiters have left for other opportunities. Um, They haven't won enough games to, to continue to produce the same level of excitement uh, in the fan base and in recruits. Um, maybe the work ethic falls off some of the staff and, and other sort of challenges that ASU coaches have had. So of course, from Edwards, um, in 2020 had a really great signing class that included the most top 100 recruits in California of any school, which had never been done before. And things looked like they were really going into a great place that built into this last season, 2021 football roster. ASU if you at that point had had the 2018, 19, 20 years to build up to that, we very clearly talked a lot last year about it being the best setup for ASU from a talent and scheduling and depth uh, and experience standpoint of any uh, season in recent history. And that's why it was such a disappointing a uh, season with an eight and five record. It really probably was their best opportunity that they've had to win the Pac-12 in a lot of years. And they didn't even get to the championship game. Um, but now when you look at it, they're, they're set to lose um, two of their best offensive linemen and the third starter, a first team, second team, all conference caliber running back Rashad White. Um, they, they lost a little bit at the receiver position, Johnny Wilson and others, and they haven't signed anybody who are receivers. They lost Curtis Hodges a tight end, who was a top half, top four, top five tight end, probably in the conference. Defensively, they lost DJ Davidson and Tyler Johnson. Those are all league caliber defensive linemen. They lost Dwayne Butler, all four of their starting members in the secondary. Yes, they did add in some of these key areas some Division one transfers that have the ability to help offset some of that in particular uh, the running back Validay from Wyoming uh, the starter along the offensive line San Diego State another from Penn State who was a number three offensive tackle um, they you know they've added a couple guys on defense a kind of a potential impact defensive tackle to replace D.J. Davidson, but I guess the point I'm saying here is they're not going to be more talented at the top of their roster, like they're among their starters overall. They're not going to be more talented. They're not going to be more experienced. And then on top of that, this is their second underwhelming high school class in a row because last year they signed a small group and it really wasn't that impressive. Uh, partly pandemic related and other factors. And now it's not a, a objectively bad recruiting class um, from high, the high school and, and junior college ranks. So I think clearly they, they peaked with their roster talent last year. Now they're going downhill. This year is going to be really difficult. They're not going to have a good reciting class again in all likelihood. And so then it's going to probably be further reduced. Now, um, Although they lost seven, I believe seven uh, uh, players at the transfer portal, including some really some of their better prospects that they've had, um, like Damante Trainum, um, Tommy Hill. Um, Of course, I I I mentioned that they lost kind of one of their highest profile receivers, Johnny Wilson. Even though fans think that he kind of was a little bit of the data. I, 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 I sort of disagree. I think that he was probably going to end up being really pretty good player. I don't know about great player, not, maybe not to two expectations, given his, his recruiting status, but uh, certainly you, you would rather have him than not have him put it that way. And um, so I, 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 yes, seven, that might seem like a lot, but actually in the pack 12, some of these teams have had 15, 20 transfers, And uh, Herm Edwards and Antonio Pierce staying through this point, at least has had some uh, calming impact on roster turnover. I think there's a possibility if Pierce and or Edwards are, are not with the team by the conclusion of spring that you could see another wave of transfers. I'm interested to see if that takes place. Uh, That might even be one, one reason to not make a move until uh, you get past the transfer deadline uh, and, and, and closer to the start of fall camp in August. But sort of regardless, they're, uh, if, if Edwards and their team won eight games last year and they have a tougher schedule and they're not as talented and they're not going to be as deep this year and they went through all these sort of coaching changes and have a new coordinator, um, you know, and, and all of that, I, I think that uh, the odds of them doing better are low. And let's keep in mind the the, the the goals, the expectations, actually, better word, that were set by Ray Anderson at the time of Todd Graham's firing before Herm Edwards was hired was that ASU should consistently be a top 15 team nationally and a top three team in the Pac-12. Well. The facts are that ASU hasn't been ranked in the AP Top 25 in 2018, 2019, 2020, and 21 for years under Herb Edwards. Um, it's not close to the Top 15. Team hasn't won the, the Pac-12 South even when it had a great opportunity to do so. And that is very unlikely to happen this year. So that would be five years of none of those things taking place when the person who hired uh, Herm Edwards um, said that those were the expectations. So very clearly things are um, in a pretty bad situation for NFU football overall.
0: Yeah. And, and the quick question that comes to mind just real quickly, if if it's, as you said, really not going to be anything great in the near future and you're going to struggle at what point or how long do you think it's going to take before I hesitate to say it goes back to to normal, but just goes back to them not being in this much of a rut. Well,
1: I think that's kind of difficult to say. You know, I don't, there's still some aspects of this that are unspooling that I don't maybe entirely know about. Um, it, It depends in part on some variables like, how aggressive the day is to is actually the rest of the year at self imposing penalties. If they take a bull ban, which they may or may not do. And, um, and, and then what happens with Herm Edwards, does he get replaced? When does that happen? How good of a new coaching staff do they bring in? How aggressive are they going to be able to be when the whole program is still kind of under scrutiny? the NIL component where ASU now seems to be in an even more difficult situation compared to nationally, the highest profile top 20 to 30 teams um, in terms of how much money that boosters are putting toward players uh, trying to bring recruits into their program and giving them these NIL name image likeness deals that everybody's talking about nationally, which are, one of the driving factors in, in, in where kids are deciding to go to school nowadays, because they can get, you know, tens of thousands, or even some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to higher profile schools. And so I, I, for, for the foreseeable future, the situation is not that good, but at the same time, there is the potential that ASU could make a new coaching hire by the end of this year that reinvigorates the, uh, the the fan base, and that maybe even in the following year, the, the uh, ASU going through this process, which I think will be the committee on infractions, leads to a determination that not much additionally penalty-wise is warranted, and so the, the team could be coming out of kind of a, a really bad stretch at some point next year. Now then AA is notoriously slow and bureaucratic and unpredictable. And so I, I, I hasten to make any sort of uh, strong predictions about that. But I, I do think that at the minimum, if Herm Edwards is gone and a lot of the self policing takes place this year, that we can maybe able to start to project a, a clearer future, um, for 2023 and beyond.
0: Yeah. And in, in terms of that, it's in, in terms of the whole investigation and what's happening, you've talked about who's been involved in terms of the coaches and and anyone else. Do you think Ray Anderson has any responsibility for this?
1: Well, very much so, because he's the person who hired Herm Edwards and it was based upon his multi-decade, long-standing personal relationship and business relationship, which by the way, uh, seemed like a conflict of interest to some degree at the time, and now has proven to be very obviously somewhat of a conflict of interest. And um, But more importantly than that, what I would say is whether or not Edwards participated or not, or the degree to which he did, these things took place within his program and there's no doubt in my mind that he had knowledge about it and didn't stop any of it from happening. Didn't say that any of it was wrong or that they weren't going to do it or put his foot down or anything like that. Confident that didn't happen. And um, you have to say that if a person like Edwards who views himself as A developer of young careers and a mentor to coaches, um, if three of the youngest coaches in the Pac-12 lost their jobs because of this, and others might lose their jobs because of this, and the program is set back as a result of this, that is uh, a very bad sort of indictment. And it was Ray Anderson who decided that Herm Edwards in this so-called pro model, which at the end of the day is kind of look a little bit more like amateur hour. Um, it's 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 his responsibility, right? He set the goals. Nobody made him say here's what here's what are the expectations for ASU when he when he fired Todd Graham. And um, look, I'm not there's there's a lot of people in the media who will say, ooh, like the cheating, cheating is, uh, you know, it's unacceptable and you can't uh, do that. And you have to have strong ethics and morals and all that stuff. And I, I, I kind of understand that on one hand, but on another hand, I say, look, uh, che- cheating is pervasive across college athletics. And, um, you know, so let's not kid ourselves. You know, they, even before NIL, lots of kids are being paid money to go to different schools or other, being otherwise incentivized to do so. Um, you know, I've been told that ASU felt like it was going to lose recruiting battles because some of these kids that they were recruiting at the top of their wish list were taking visits to other schools also during the de- covid dead period. But here's the key thing. Okay. Every team, every program, has to be disciplined and has to have really strong operational integrity. And so if you get caught cheating and you very blatantly had a large part of your staff or most of your staff or all your staff participating in some of these things uh, in a widespread way that was very conceivably going to lead to something like this potentially happening because you didn't have control over everybody on your staff or the confidence of everybody on your staff, which is what led to people who were part of the staff turning in this information to ASU and the NCAA. Well, that still, to me, very clearly shows bad leadership, bad judgment, bad management of your coaching program. And it shows that the judgment of the person who made that hire was also bad, especially if Ray Anderson knew Herm Edwards for this many years and didn't have the ability to foresee that something like this could have possibly happened, right? So um, I I think very clearly when you you factor in other aspects, like uh, ASU basketball is now clearly moved back down into um, the second half of the Pac-12 under Bobby Hurley. And they didn't use his successful initial few years as a um, as a impetus to getting the desert financial arena financially uh, overhauled so they could have a better arena to recruit more easily and sort of sustain their success. They, They didn't do that. And instead, they, you know, I'm not saying it, it was an either or, but they got a hockey arena built for what, 120 million or something like that. And it's not going to, that's not going to make as much money for the school as a totally overhauled desert financial arena, coupled with more sustained basketball success would have been able to make. But maybe because they were successful, they decided it. Eh, we just put that on the back burner. Let's do this other arena. But now, now you have a much harder time because Hurley's got years on his contract. He's not doing very well. Edwards has got years on his contract. Uh, he may need to be fired or, or he may resign or something may happen there. Uh, you're going to absolutely, no question, in my opinion, you're going to have a, a a significant booster fatigue and you're going to have a worse renewals in their um, season tickets and in their overall booster support because people are going to be put off by all of this fans are not going to be happy and then whenever that happens it 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 becomes harder to reverse those trends and get those fans back and energized and engaged especially when they see the writing on the wall with the pac 12 and its presidents and and its its leadership and and how can asu climb back up to have realistic chances at at playing in the Rose bowl and going maybe the playoff, uh, making deep runs in the NCAA tournament, all that. I mean, that's it. Like it's great to have Olympic sports success. And ultimately I, I do believe like to my core that, um, the student athlete development process, high graduation rates, APR numbers, getting those people transitioned into great, um, um young professional careers. That is a core mission of ASU athletics or any athletic department program, but there's no way that you can do that at the expense of uh, faltering in your revenue sports and then expect to be able to still sustain the type of success that you wanna have more broadly across your entire athletic department. It doesn't work like that. You, you have to be able to drive football success at a place like ASU and then a little bit more secondarily basketball success you know is still kind of important especially especially when you have an opportunity like the one that they seem to have that they weren't able to capitalize on but so um Ray Anderson is responsible yes uh, uh he's tethered to Herm Edwards inextricably like they are linked so if the Herm Edwards era fails which it is failing and it, it seems to me unrecoverable to me it seems like they are just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. No matter what they do right now, right? They add a offensive coordinator, Glenn Thomas from UNLV. He's never been a successful uh, architect of an offense before. He wasn't the play caller at Baylor when they were successful. Their quarterbacks were bad at UNLV. You can point to oh, he had some success with Matt Ryan in 2012, 2013. Okay, it's very speculative. that's that hire isn't. And why would anybody want to come to ASU right now? Anyways, I, I don't really get it. Um, the, there's there's just so much that they have to overcome i don't see it happening I, I, I and i think ultimately that um ray anderson should lose his job over this like there's just no doubt in my mind that he has failed at the core some of these very core areas that he needs to be that any athletic director he or anyone must be ultimately judged on, and he especially failed because he put ASU in jeopardy with the hiring of Herm Edwards, which le- which is going to lead to a major a level one sanctions major infractions case, half of the staff or more losing its job, maybe an entire staff losing his job. That you don't want that anywhere near your legacy, and that that is how that is unfortunately for these two people who have had pretty esteemed careers, that is how they are probably going to, going to end up uh, ending their, their careers um, because of sort of their age and being in the twilight of what they're doing professionally.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on. And as when you go to the bigger picture as well, there's a lot of puzzle pieces and the only thing that's really clear is that there's a lot more, to come from this. So do make sure to stay tuned to all of our content and we'll have you up to date on everything you need to know. But we'll move over to what you were just talking about a little bit in basketball with Bobby Hurley and the team. They lost their last game to Arizona. It was expected to be a blowout, but they actually played fairly well, but it did end up still being a double-digit loss. They're 6-12 overall, 2-6 and six in the Pac-12, and they have basically two months left in their schedule. So Chris, They've struggled so far at this point. That's pretty clear. But what can fans expect for the rest of the year? Yeah,
1: it's it's been rough going, right? They um, have lost three in a row. They've only won one game um, since the first of the year, right? Um, and and I, 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 there were some positive takeaways from that Arizona game. Absolutely. They played really hard. They competed throughout the duration of the game. They battled on the interior against a a longer um, and and more athletic team, I would say. And um, and so they can hang their hats on that defensive intensity and effort. And and even in a a lot of ways, the execution of what they were trying to do on defense was better than it has been at many points in time in the season over the course of, a 30-plus-minute stretch. They had one, like, five, six-minute stretch that was not very good in the second half. Now, they turned the ball over too much, especially early in a somewhat uncharacteristic way when Arizona decided they were going to bring some full-court pressure. I think they had 11 turnovers in the first 11 minutes, and that prevented them from having an even bigger lead um, that made might have made it possible for them to hold on in the second half. Um, offensively, though, Man, it's just it's it's such a bad uh, team. Ultimately, they're outside of the top 300 nationally. And there's like 360 teams, something like that. But they're outside of the top 300 nationally in like um, offensive efficiency and two-point field goal percentage and three-point field goal percentage and free throw percentage, and they they just they're not – it's a bad shooting team outside of DJ Horn, right? Marcus Bagley's not on the court. I, I, I personally don't expect him to play again this year. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. Uh, he, was, he was probably their best spot shooter last year when he was on the court. Um, and, but there's nobody other than Horn who's shooting better than like 20% from three. Well, that's like almost unheard of in, a, in modern college basketball, right? And it's sort of perplexing because Marion Jackson has made, man, I think he made about as many threes as any uh, college player over the last two seasons when he was the Mid-American Conference Player of the Year. So, you know, seems like maybe they're due to start shooting the ball a little bit better as a team. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We're still not going to ever be a good offensive squad, and so very clearly they're going to have to. Steals, deflections, turnovers. They're going to have to limit second chance opportunities. They're going to have to get as many of their own second chance opportunities. They're going to have to create offense with their defense, try to get some transition. Uh, Marianne Jackson has provided a boost in that regard, I think, in in recent games. Um, And they're going to have to sort of continue to progress with their front court play overall. Jalen Graham's given them some decent offense, and, and especially in some key situations in recent weeks. I think Alonzo Gaffney has started to provide a little bit more from a consistency standpoint. Enoch Bowachi is, um, he's had his moments, but, you know, still not ready to be a consistent player. Um, They're not going to, they're not going to greatly change who they are or any of these player IDs throughout the rest of the year, but at the same time, maybe they can sort of get some sort of, uh, chemistry building now that they have a lot of the team had COVID and they they seem to have a lot of that behind them. I think they will have a pretty un- uninterrupted stretch of health now outside of Bagley is likely to happen. And they're playing again. Their most important thing I just underlined. They they won one game this year. You know this since you know in a month a month or so. And um, at the same time they're 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 still playing really hard. They're still they seem to be bought in. To what they're still trying to accomplish. That's a good sign and that also reflects well on the coach. But um in order to not be a bottom three or four team in the conference, they're going to have to make some pretty noticeable strides here in the coming
0: weeks. Yeah, I think what you just said at the end also in terms of with the one win in the last month or so, they at, at least towards the end of it they started playing some of their Better basketball that they played throughout the season, at least at times in games and still were losing games by double digits or close games. They just couldn't come out on top. So it's definitely going to be something to see in terms of they can even claw their way back into at this point, an okay season, but That's going to be it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. If you want to know more about the NCAA investigation or about ASU basketball, make sure to check out all of our content regarding both of those at SunDevilSource.com. But for now, I'm Ethan Ryder. I've been with Chris Cartman, and that was the Sun Devil Source Report podcast.